Welcome to the podcast of Grace and Peace Church. We're glad you're journeying with us, and we hope that you find value from the teachings. If you'd like to connect or support the mission of Grace and Peace Church, check us out at graceandpeacechurch.org or find us on Instagram or Facebook. Grace and Peace. All right, so we are in a series where we're going through the book of Mark, and we're calling this Walk With Me. And as we study, study through this, uh, this gospel, we are observing the ways that Jesus interacts with people and the ways that he talks with people. And um, it's been fun to kind of hopefully look at it with fresh eyes because sometimes we read passages and we go, yeah, I've read that before and we move on. Um, but hopefully we're bringing fresh perspective to it. And this week is one of those unique passages that you've probably heard a lot. Um, it happens around Easter. Um, it's a triumphal entry. It's where Jesus rides in on a donkey. And so you hear this one the Sunday before Easter generally. Um, and, but I want to give it hopefully a new, new spin and kind of look at it from not something really new, but hopefully like something fresh that doesn't have kind of the routine to it. Um, so first thing I want to do is uh, just read through that passage. So if we could just stand, um, a cool thing is just to like to change our posture as we read. Um, so let's stand and, uh, and I'll read it from the screen. Uh, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, And Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. We're just going to borrow it. They went and found the colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered, As Jesus had told them to, and people let them go. They're like, Yeah, they're just borrowing it for a little bit. It's going to come back. Uh, When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people uh, spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. It would have been palm branches. Those who went ahead... And those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. All right, you may be seated. So this is the passage that we have. Again, I just mentioned like this is the triumphal entry is where he's entering in supposedly as a king, right? But we see he enters in on a donkey. And this would have been very prophetic. This is an an answer to prophecy, which we're going to talk about here in a second, um, but have been very familiar. So I sent out an email this week and asked you guys a question. I don't know if any of you guys got it and got to think about it a little bit, but think about how many songs you have memorized. They shout a song that's familiar to them, and they're like, this king is coming in, and Hosanna, this is like, this is our king, he's coming in, blessed is he, this new kingdom is going to come in, and we're all going to be saved, and everything's going to be great, okay? Um, that song they have memorized. This is something they would have been very familiar with. How many songs do you think you have memorized? 10, 20, hundreds. I know when I sit in the car with my wife, she has every single song that like comes on if it's generally like been around for a while. She's like, oh, you don't know this song? I'm like, really? I don't. I've never even heard it. Like, what's going on? She's like, got, knows all the lyrics. Raise your hand if you like know a lot of lyrics to a lot of songs and you recognize it. Okay, yeah. So isn't that interesting how we just... Like, there's songs that'll pop on where, like, that I listened to in high school, 
and this is going to make me sound older, but like that was like 25 years ago or more, um, that I have memorized that I haven't heard since then that I just click right into and I memorize them. Like I just know them like the back of my hand. You guys know that, right? You guys have experienced that. You've done that. And it takes you back to another place probably. Um, how many of those songs, now that you're older, when you sing them, you go, I was singing that? Those are some funky lyrics. Ever done that? Raise your hand. Okay, a couple of us. Okay, so as a parent, when you sit in the car and you hear a song, and then you start listening to the lyrics, and you go, oh, wow. Okay, that's about something different, right? You recognize it a little bit more. And so I've noticed that as a parent. Now I'm like, oh, wow, like maybe I shouldn't play that song, and that's not the best, right? So my point is, we get very familiar with some songs. We get very familiar with some ways of life. We get very familiar with some things that become routine that we know the lyrics to. We sing them out. We rock out. It may take us to another place, and we're happy and joyful, and it's all good, but may not necessarily be the best, or it may not be the thing that we thought it was. Ever heard the lyrics to a song and then discovered like what that song was really about and then cringed? <laughs> yeah, you've been there, right? Um, I've heard it a lot recently as I talk to other parents as they go like, yeah, I was singing that song and it, it just, I shouldn't have been singing it. And now that I know what I know, it's not good. Um, I think, just to use that, we're going to carry that through this message. This passage and the song that the audience, the crowd, even the disciples were singing, they don't know what they're singing. They don't know what they're actually singing and what they're asking for and what they think is going to happen. Because what happens here is the crowd has some stuff memorized, but it's simply out of routine. The song where they, where they shout out, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, which is the line that I'm going to hone in on here, um, because I think it's kind of the crux of this passage, lets us know a few things, and we're going to unpack that. So I want to take some time in order for us to see the things that maybe we have become familiar with. I'm going to take some time to look at our theology, and then we'll go back and go, okay, maybe now we see what this passage was doing and why these people were a little confused and maybe misled in their understanding of what Jesus was doing as he's coming in. So if you want, in the digital bulletin, um, the notes are all in here, and I threw this passage in there, and I threw in some of the questions as well. Um, but the very first thing is we see that we, as well as the crowd 2,000 years ago, um, we have an ingrained beliefs and understandings of how life goes. They had ingrained beliefs and understandings of what Jesus was going to do as king, right? So like, blessed is the coming kingdom, this kingdom that Jesus is bringing in. He's going to save us all from everything that's going on. You've got to remember they're under Roman rule, which would have been oppression for them. They weren't in control. They were being told what to do. So they're like, the current circumstance, they're being taxed. There's all kinds of stuff that's happening where they're just not okay with it. And Jesus is ushering in the new way, right? And they're like, it's going to save us all. It's going to be amazing. But I think we have the same kind of understanding sometimes of what Jesus is going to do and how life works. But here's the problem. I believe that there is an evil power. You can call it Satan, whatever you want. 
But there is evil that exists that will skew our thinking, that will skew our perspective, right? That will skew the way that we see life no matter what. And I'll give you guys some examples here in a second. But um, the evil power that exists has twisted their beliefs and their understanding over hundreds of years of hearing the message of like what Messiah will do, what Messiah will do to transform their life and what he's going to do to change their world. But this evil exists and it's very much real. And that's the thing I want us to really like see as the first thing. Like there is an evil power that exists and we can pretend that doesn't exist. We can be naive. We can pretend that there's no evil in our world. We can put our heads in the sand, but it does exist. Um, Matthew does a great job in the Gospel of Matthew, not Matthew back here. Um, Matthew does a great job of showing us an interaction between Jesus and Matthew 4. You see Jesus is tempted. He's taken out into the wilderness before he starts his ministry. He's tempted by evil. He's tempted by Satan. And some of the language that's used there is being deceived. That the tempter deceives or tries to deceive Jesus but Jesus responds in these every request that Satan makes with a passage of Scripture or pointing towards God and saying, I don't rely on myself, I rely on God and nothing else. And every challenge that Satan brings to him, every kind of evil like skew that, that Satan tries to put on it, Jesus responds and says, nope, I'm not going to buy into that. And so we see a very clear... Um, example that there is a tempter that exists, all right? And, and I think that's powerful, and it's why you see it in the Gospels. You see Jesus encountering situations where evil has taken over people's lives, and he brings healing, right? Evil will deceive us. It will twist our minds. It will twist our understanding of certain things that we think are, are good at times. Um, we have to it's, it's very foundational to who we are as believers. Like, we have to understand that there is good and evil, and there is a battle that goes on um, constantly. So my example, I've seen even in my own life how desire will lead me to think that I need something in order to be content. That was even my, it's almost my reflection every Sunday as we gather and we sing is that I'm reminded that there are things that I desire that I think are good for me that actually just make me spin my wheels and don't actually bring contentment or peace or joy. Have you ever said this phrase? I'll throw it on the screen just so you can see it, but I'll be happy if blank. I'll be happy if I get this. If this situation changes the way that I want it to change, I'll be happy if this scenario changes, my finances change, this person stops acting the way that they act, whatever it is, right? I'll be happy if, or maybe you've said, um, oh, I did twice there. In my notes, it was different. Um, Or I'll be content. um, Or what did I do there? (laughs) I messed that up. So, um, but we've we've had those moments where I'll be content, I'll be happy um, if this happens or when this takes place. And we can all probably go around the room and share stories where we got what we wanted, but it didn't deliver, right? I'll be happy when or if, and then you get that, it happens, and then suddenly you're like, yeah, now I want something else. I want something bigger, something better, right? 
And we always will be plagued by that desire. Um, That is where evil distorts our thinking. And that is where evil will seep in real quickly. And it happens every week. And it happens every day and every moment of every day where we will constantly have to discern between what will truly bring joy in my life and contentment and what will lead me down a road of thinking that I will, once I achieve that, I will be happy and content. Um, great example of this um, in, in kind of the context of like society and a community. So we as a family have been watching Alone. Anybody watch Alone? Like season eight now? Um, so we're just like getting through season eight and uh, we're like, don't ruin it for us because we're like, I think episode eight or nine. Um, but there is a guy in there, and I don't know if you, if you know what alone is. It's basically people are just dropped in a location, part of the world, where they have to survive alone, no one else. They have, I think, 20 items that they get to take with them, and um, they have to survive. And like, out of the 10 contestants, whoever survives the longest gets $500,000. So the motivation for a lot of people is, well, I'll get this money, and then I can do great things with my family, and I'll be content, right? They're like... I'll make it through, I'll suffer, I'll just work really hard and make it through this, and then my family will be happy and will be set up for life. And there's a guy, Matt, in there that he kind of prides himself on, like, I do things alone. He's like, I'm just an adventurer, and I go and I do things all alone. He's kind of this hippie dude, he's pretty rad. Um, He's kind of funny to watch. But um, he gets out there, and I think day 20, he's like, I can't do this alone thing anymore. Like, I really miss my wife my community, like people. And, and he even, he fully articulates this. He's like, I used to think that being alone was freedom. I used to think that being alone was everything that I needed to achieve and that that will bring me happiness and I'll be good because nothing else will interfere with my life. And what he discovers being alone in the wilderness in, uh, I wrote down the name of the lake again, but it's, uh, it's in British Columbia, Chilco Lake, middle of nowhere. And it's freezing cold now at this point. And you just see, he's just like, can't do it. And he presses the button, so they have like this like GPS thing, whatever. They press the button, they call in, they're like, I'm tapping out. Can't do it. And he taps out because he's like, not because of anything major, but just because he's like, I need community. Like, I need people. And you see that through a lot of the characters as you see them journey through this alone life where it's like, I need community. And I think that's another example of the lie or the way that evil will twist a belief where we think freedom comes from being alone, and it's not. Like, we need community. We need one another. And, um, and I know that even culturally today, like, a lot of people are like, no, I just don't need people. I don't need community. I don't need church. I don't need blah, blah, blah. And it's like more and more we're seeing the evidence that we do need connection with others, even though it's difficult, right? Even though it creates tension when we're around other human beings but we need human beings because we need that support. We need that love. Um, and, and it's just, it's a way that God expresses uh, his love is through community. And so um, I thought that was interesting just to kind of see his response and begin to see just how evil will seep in and, and, and twist our thinking and help us buy into something that really doesn't deliver. Um, we want to change the world around us Um, but I think what God wants to do is transform our hearts first, and then he begins to use us in the world that we are in. And and I say that because I think that's another theological point that we have to understand, 
that until we are transformed, until we begin to transform or understand that like God transforms us and that we are open to that transformation, we're open to the fact that God wants to renew our hearts, um, there isn't a lot of change that's going to happen. And I believe that what, what these people are shouting, they don't understand because they selfishly just want transformation for themselves rather than for their community and really a change that really makes a difference in the world that we live in. And, um, and so again, like our theological understanding of like, it's about me, doesn't really, it's another lie, again, that Satan tells us. It's about God transforming us to the will of his, not our own. And so we have to begin to surrender to that. We have to begin to see that, um, which we'll see the crowd doesn't quite understand. Um, This transformation that takes place in our lives that we long to see as we see good in the world that we live in is called blessing. And I want to show you guys, a. it's like a five-minute video um, by Bible Project, but I think it does a good job of resourcing us and helping us understand this idea of blessing and how it begins to transform our faith to a faith that is a faith that is filled with action um, and is filled with the right things rather than the deceptive things that are shallow, right? And so um, check out this video. It, it really helps us understand and give some depth to this idea of blessing that they're shouting out. Blessed is this king who's coming. And this is the thing that really Jesus is ushering in, and they think he's ushering in something else. So check this out. The story of the Bible begins with God bringing life out of darkness, ordering our beautiful world, and then blessing all of its creatures. Hold on, blessing. That's one of those funny religious words. Yeah, right. People say a blessing over their meal or after they sneeze. Or just a general way to say that things are going well for me. But in the Bible, a blessing is more specific. The first blessing in the Bible is when God creates animals and he blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the land. Ah, so God's blessing is about flourishing and multiplication of life. Right, it's when God shares his life-producing ability with others. Next, God gives humans an additional blessing that sets them apart from the animals. Not only are we one of God's creatures that can generate new life, we've also been appointed as God's representative image to rule and oversee this whole flourishing world on God's behalf. So part of our blessing is to take care of God's blessing for all creation. And God wants us to rule while trusting in his abundance, to eat from the tree of blessing, that is, the tree of God's own eternal life. Now there is another tree to eat from. Yes, and it represents this decision to try and seize abundance and life on our own terms by our own wisdom. The humans encounter a deceptive creature who tricks them into eating from this other tree, thinking it's a shortcut to blessing. And instead of blessing, this tree brings a curse. A curse? You mean like a magic spell? No, in the Bible, the curse is when God hands people over to the consequences of seizing our own blessing on our own terms. It's a curse because instead of abundance and life, we end up with scarcity, isolation, and death. So God curses the ground, and instead of fruitfulness, there will be famine. Instead of overseeing the world, they will have to work the land until they die. Man. But God also curses that deceptive creature that fooled the humans, saying that a human will come one day to destroy it. And that human will be born into a world of scarcity, where men and women and families and tribes are all locked in violent conflict. If God's blessing is now covered with a curse, how can we flourish? Even more, 
how can we rule with God? Well, here the biblical story takes an interesting turn. God chooses one couple, Abraham and Sarah, and God blesses them and says they will become a huge family. Be fruitful and multiply. And there's more. God says that his blessing on Abraham and his family is for this larger purpose, so that through them, God's blessing can go out to all of the nations. So God's plan is to reverse the curse and restore the blessing by first blessing this one family. Right. And this family does experience God's blessing. Even when they journey through times of danger and scarcity, they grow into this huge nation, Israel. And God brings them to a mountain and invites them to be his representatives. Yes, God will bless Israel so that they can become a blessing to the nations. All they have to do is trust and live by God's wisdom. And they're told that this is a choice between life and death, between blessing and curse. Now keep reading because the Israelites almost never trust God for his blessing. Their story is filled with tales of deception, violent grabs for power, resulting in the ultimate curse exile from their land and slavery to foreign nations. But Israel's prophets who lived through all of this, they still trusted in God's promise to Abraham. And they anticipated a future Israelite who would come to restore God's blessing and reverse the curse for Israel and for all the nations. When we turn to the story of Jesus, we find Israel still experiencing the curse, living as slaves to the Roman Empire. But Jesus, he so trusted in God's blessing, he claimed that it was arriving in a new way through himself. He wanted his followers to trust in God's abundance, to share and be generous. And he even taught his followers to bless people who curse them. Jesus would even reverse the curse by healing and restoring people's bodies. God's blessing is being unleashed. Jesus also confronted his fellow Israelites who were in power, and he accused them of getting in the way of God's plan to bless Israel and the nations through them. Those leaders arrest Jesus so they could have him killed. And instead of fighting back, Jesus believed that he was that chosen Israelite who would face the curse that Israel and all humanity deserves, and he would allow the curse to fall on him. Jesus dies the shameful death of a man under the curse. But just as God brought life and blessing out of darkness in the beginning, so here, through Jesus, God reverses death by raising Jesus. The curse is put to death so that the blessing of God's life can spread out once again. After his resurrection, Jesus blessed his followers and he said that his presence would be with them as they learned to trust in God's blessing and share with others. And while death and the curse still have a hold on our world, followers of Jesus trust that the power of God's blessing is even stronger. It means we can live with extreme generosity even when it seems like there's not enough. And that leads us to the conclusion of the biblical story, where every nation is enjoying the gifts of God's abundance, because in God's new world that is sustained by the life-giving power of Jesus, there is no longer any curse. The blessing versus the curse. Their understanding of blessing was skewed. And so as they're shouting out and going, blessed is this king, this, this kingdom who he's ushering in, their understanding was, was actually skewed and twisted just enough to be bent towards a selfish gain. Because remember, they wanted freedom. They wanted a king that would come in and just conquer Rome and take over and give them all that they needed. But what's beautiful about this story is that Jesus comes in with another message that says, bless those that curse you, right? 
that comes in on a donkey, where he rides in with humility. So their understanding and what they're shouting and what they're singing doesn't necessarily line up with really what Jesus is trying to do. He comes in and starts to turn over the tables and starts to come in and shift everything that's going on. And so this understanding of really what is the blessing? The blessing is that we get to be part of this generous God who comes in and says, we're going to bless people that curse you. We're going to be a blessing to people that, that are difficult to be around. You get to usher in this place of love where there is evil, and you get to be part of this, like, this renewing process um, that Jesus is doing. They didn't quite understand it. They, they had familiar passages that, um, that went all the way back to Zechariah 9.9 where they're just like, this king's going to ride in on a donkey. We know this is how it's supposed to go down. But they still had a stallion in mind. They're just like, oh, it just happens to be a donkey just because that's what prof- what prophet said, what Zechariah said in Zechariah 9.9. So this is just how it's going to unfold. Eventually he's going to have a sword and eventually he's going to have a kingdom and he's going to overthrow everything. But we all know what happens further down the line, right? One commentary says this. These are the ones who hailed him as king with their many hosannas, recognizing him as the son of David who came in the name of the Lord. But when he failed in their expectations, when he refused to lead them in a massive revolt against Roman occupiers, the crowds quickly turned on him. Within just a few days, their hosannas would change to cries of crucify him. Those who hailed him as hero would soon reject him and abandon him. Jesus comes not to conquer by force. We know that he came with love, with grace, with mercy and ultimately his own sacrifice for us. And he calls us, invites us into that same posture, that same approach. And so, again, it's, they're just, they don't understand. And they're thinking of like, so when, we, when they say the, um, the king, uh, the coming king of David, they're thinking of David who had a kingdom, who was the king of that kingdom, who had a sword and had power. But let's not get confused that, that David wasn't a perfect guy, was he? You think about some of the stories, Bathsheba. You think about what happened after he had his encounter with Bathsheba. And if you want to go back and read that story, I'd highly recommend it. Um, the, uh, the prophet Nathan comes to him and says, hey, what have you done? And he says, basically, he's killed Uriah as well, her husband, to cover up this thing that he did. David wasn't a perfect person. And I think... Israel at this time saw him as the perfect one and saw the, the prophetic voices that were going before him to say, he's, there's going to be a Messiah. There's going to be one that's going to come in. It's going to be like David. It's going to come in and take over and do everything right. And their understanding of David was they elevated him too high. They brought him to this place where he wasn't. David is just a person like you and I, right? Sure, he, had, he was known as a man after God's own heart, but He's after God's heart. He's chasing after God's heart the same way that you and I chase after God's heart and want to learn and grow and learn to be more like God's heart in this world, not our own, right? Um, and they're, again, their understanding just slightly twisted. They just don't quite get it. But what we have is hindsight. We have the ability to read this and begin to see all these passages where Jesus 
lays out exactly his game plan and what he's doing. And we got to remember Mark, as a writer, has already woven through some thoughts of like seeing clearly. We've mentioned this almost every Sunday, I think, right? Um, that there's these moments where Jesus heals people and they start to see a little bit clearer. And then he has to do a second healing with one guy, right? Because he doesn't fully see. He says people look like trees. And he gives sight to the blind and does that a few times to begin to paint this picture of us seeing God's kingdom clearly. That we need to have that kind of vision that says, I want to see God. I want to see what he desires for us. And I want to see it clearly. And so that theme is woven through it. And then you also see... um, Mark lays out a few examples prior to this in the last couple of weeks in the last few sermons we did with the rich young ruler, where the rich young ruler wanted the kingdom, wanted to live this certain way, but what happened? Jesus says, okay, we'll sell everything and give it to the poor and then come follow me. And what happens to that rich young ruler? He walks away sad. Because again, it's that slightly twisted belief that like, this will make me happy. And yet when Jesus invites these people to come follow him and have extreme blessing. So when we talk about blessing, is like this way of life that is abundant, that is good, that we get to be generous because God is the one that's going to work through us. They miss out on it because they're like, no, actually the money, I want that. I want to keep going with the finances. Like I, I think that's what makes me happy. And again, it's that very first thing, that theological understanding that like, if I have this, it'll make me happy. And what Jesus wants to do is just like, revamp our thinking, revamp this song that we've memorized for so long and say, you know what will make you truly happy? Is surrendering and beginning to like really discover this life with Jesus. Mark in chapter 3 says, whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. The will of God, just desiring the heart of God to love others, to love him, that is the call that he's put in our lives. That is the blessing. That's where we discover real life transformation is like when we prioritize the things of God, loving people, that that will begin to transform life. In Colossians 3, it says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. Don't set your hearts on things here. Set your hearts on things above, right? So scripture talks about this over and over where true blessing comes from is when we set our mind, our hearts, our will, everything about who we are on the things above and center around him, that that changes everything. I know it sounds like a very cliche, simple like perspective, but it really, it's truly, it's the hard thing to wrap our, um, our minds around. Jesus invites us to rethink life, I think. Rethink the song that we sing, that we've had memorized. And, um, and I want to give you guys a real life example that actually just happened yesterday. Um, that I want to share as a weakness of mine that maybe you can learn from um, that I think shines light on how we are deceived by certain things that we think we have to have a certain way or go a certain way. And, um, and so I'm just willing to share that from my life just so that you guys can hopefully hear it. But um, So we have a neighbor that we love dearly, that is amazing, that, um, that we're just so grateful for. Um, that yesterday we were, I was out in the front yard and she shared a frustration of something that I was doing, like 
the way that I was parking my truck in my front yard. And so there's a frustration. Maybe you guys have dealt with parking in your neighborhoods, but it can be an issue. Um, and I was totally unaware of what I was doing. And when she expressed the concern, again, totally loving person, amazing individual, she expressed the concern, the concern. I immediately wanted to go defensive and like go to like the rules of like justifying why I do what I do and everything. But instantly I saw like a moment where I was like, why do I defend that? And I did for a moment and then backtracked and said, why am I defending what I think has to happen in this situation? Why don't I just ask her, like, what do you think the solution is? And as I began to, like, relent as hard as it was, I'm, like, being real, like, I'm, I'm the failure in this moment. As I was trying to keep my agenda, my way of keeping things, like, because I knew that that's the way I'd ordered it and that's the way it should be in my neighborhood and my home and my property, right? that then I began to see, maybe I'm holding on to that a little too tightly. And as I started to have a conversation with her, I was like, let's find a solution. Like, I don't need to hold on to this so tightly. And it was really hard for me to do. So again, like, this is me kind of sweating bullets and being like, I need to change my heart. I need to change my mind. And like, the song that I've memorized that I think is so good really isn't that good. Um, and, and I need to revamp the way that I think. And I, I've seen how evil seeps into my life and, and convinces me, like, you have to keep things a certain way in order to be content and happy and keep things really easy for you. And I was like, what's the common thing here? Me, 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 right? Wanting things my way, the way that I think they should be. And as I began to release that and just go, you know what, does it matter? No. It was kind of freeing. And it was kind of freeing as I began to think through this message and think about blessing and where Jesus ushers in this way where he says, extreme generosity, like bless those who curse you. Do the thing that is difficult in in circumstances where you might not think it's the easiest thing, right? Um, What Jesus invites us into as a community is to be a place that, that brings in that blessing, that doesn't bring more conflict, that doesn't bring more issue, that says, we have a generous God that can figure out parking, right? Like, we have a generous God that can figure out finances. Like, if we see something, we're like, I don't know how we're going to pay for this, but we got to do this a certain way. God, God's bigger than all of that. We don't have to lie about something. We don't have to cheat our way through something. We don't have to try and finagle things a certain way. God's generous, and he calls us to be generous and just to live into that, and it's freeing. It's really good to do that. And so my encouragement and my invitation as we read this passage is, let's sing a new song. Like, maybe the lyrics that we have memorized to who Jesus is are a little twisted. Maybe we've bought into the fact that we think that Jesus is going to solve all our problems. we got to revamp that. That's a new song. Like, that's just, I don't know what pastors, like, somehow like ingrained that into us where we're like, yeah, he'll take care of all your problems. Everything's going to be good. Like, where does that come from? Like every, every gospel you read, like the disciples, like they all died (laughs) as a result of their faith. Like it was very difficult, but they knew that it was good. They knew that it was transforming the people around them and the communities that they lived in, that it was taking care of the widow, the orphan, that people were loved deeply And wow, like, that's what we get to be a part of. That's the generous God we get to connect with and be involved in. And so let's sing a new song. That's that's my prayer. Um, I don't have any really specific things. I think, like, just think about the song that we sing when we sing about Jesus. And is it a song of 
blessing. Let's leave it with that. And if you need to rehash that video, I'll post it again this week. If you need to talk about what blessing is a little more, if you need to really think about it, the invitation is that we sing the song of blessing. That's the kind of people we are. That's the kind of people we want to be. So uh, let me pray, and then we'll read our benediction. Lord, um, I know that we've all memorized songs about who you are, Jesus. I know that we've all memorized theology, beliefs, understandings, and just like this crowd, I think sometimes we, we got it wrong. And we need to be reminded that it's not about me, it's not about us, it's about you, Jesus. And so I pray that today as we go into the rest of this day that you'd reveal areas of our life where we need to put you front and center, where we need to be generous, where we need to be loving, where we need to be patient. Um, teach us what that looks like and, and convict us in those areas. Help us to do the hard work of, of recognizing that in our lives. Um, but we ultimately know that it's good. We ultimately know that it's going to really ch- not just change our lives, but the people around us. And so we want to be a part of that, um, that renovation, that renewal that you're doing through us and in our communities. And so um, as we scatter and go into the rest of this day, go before us. I pray your Holy Spirit would lead us um, everywhere we go. In your name, amen. All right, so rejoice in knowing that we never walk alone. Know the grace and peace of Christ walking beside us, that he's guiding and protecting us. And let's share this comfort with one another, and let's feel his presence each moment of every single day. Let's go sing a new song.